Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I am joined by four very experienced tech leaders at Merce Office. The topic in discussion today is how to excel in motivating engineers. But before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room and make some introductions. So, if we start with Flavio. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is Flavio Morishan, working as a lead backend engineer here at Merce in a department called Search and Buy on the Merce.com platform. Um, been here for three and a half years, around. Um, prior to that, I used to work in a few startups in Copenhagen. And um, my main interests are mostly around cloud-native applications, a lot of technologies associated with that landscape. Um, outside of work, hobbies, fishing, reading, running, all depending on the weather. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Great stuff, Fabio. Appreciate that. And if we move on to Elvis. Hi, I'm Elvis. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm currently working at Corti as a front-end focus team lead, but I'm a generalist, so I'm actually coming from C, C++ background, and then I kind of work my way up on the ISO OC models, and I'm on the web at the top. And um, yeah, outside of work, I do DJing as a hobby. I play pool with Steve from the previous episode from time to time. And yeah, lots of outdoors, like hiking and climbing and stuff like that. Great stuff. I appreciate that, man. And Esan, you yes. give us a little bit of background. Thank you. Uh, I'm Esan Samadi. Uh, I'm, my background is mechanical engineering. I'm an engineering manager for in working in Gronfos for a team called the uh, Global Water Utility Competence Center. We are uh, application experts how to to, to deal with, uh, with pumps and mixers and rotary machines. Um, so I'm not an IT person basically, but uh, but yeah, but, um, and our team is giving technical uh, support to globally, to projects, to consultants, contractors, uh, and yeah, uh, out of work, I have been quite uh, enjoying and busy with my family and two, my two small kids last five years. But uh, when I have more time, it would be reading, playing badminton. Yeah, as you said, uh, depending on the weather, <laughs> what can we want? Well, judging by the weather today, it sounds like it's going to be the reading. <laughs> yeah, most probably. And we'd like to move over to Alexander. Yeah. Alexander Dick, I am a product owner uh, at Milfisk uh, right now, so I'm handling all our digital platforms. I've also been with uh, Vino and Microsoft, as I am previously. I cannot write a single line of code, so I'm more on the business side, trying to figure out priorities and, uh, and work with the engineering teams to make them come to life. When I don't do work, I also I have some family time, got four kids, so it's a bit of, bit of uh, things that I have to address, but also really much into board games, so both online and, and physically actually meeting up. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that from all of you. So now that we've established a little bit of context, let's delve deeper into the topic in focus. So, Bob, you know you had a question that you'd prepared for the group, if you'd like to pose that to the panel. Yeah, I thought this would be an, an interesting question, maybe a little bit broad to begin with, but maybe that's for the best. Um, so 
I thought to start a discussion by just sharing a few thought of, thoughts about the role that technology is playing in motivating engineers. And I was hoping we could, in particular, look at new technology, um, whether it's new paradigms, new frameworks, new type of doing things altogether. But what role does that play in, in motivating engineers? Yeah, I suppose it's me, uh, but uh, I think that's quite valid uh, question. And in, in our field of work, in general, we are all engineers. It doesn't matter if it's a mechanical engineer or IT or civil or, or electrical. But what I've experienced is that every time we are motivated with, with uh, some elements, and one of them is, is new tools and new, uh, let's say, technology. And in my work, <clears throat> I have seen that uh, if you don't follow the, the technology outside, uh, then people start to, to complain and then uh, demotivation happens. Fortunately, in our, in our company, we are lucky. We have a little bit of luxury. We have all the new licenses to tools. And that gives, uh, actually makes it quite easy for, for us. But I can see the situation that um, if suddenly the cost of license or, or, or following the VR technology, for example, these things, uh, if we cannot afford it, and perhaps that would be a challenge for smaller companies, then, uh, then that can cause some lowering the motivation. So your point there is more like how the company keeps up with the technology evolution, yeah. not necessarily technology as a tool to motivation, right? But it's a very, very nice point. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, what, I, what I've seen is that, uh, again, we have a strong, for example, product development team, and they always have the latest uh, technology. And we, as a support team, we can chip in or, or, or tap into that uh, that pipeline and that's that's always nice exciting people learning something new because this learning also is is kind of motivating isn't it so i believe that's a, that's very important so we work with uh, with web primarily mm -hmm. and, um, and it's always new technology popping up new frameworks you want to do mm -hmm. and at some point the developers can also get uh, demotivated by you know, trying to work in a framework they're not familiar with so it's a balance between you know bringing in the cool new stuff that can you know make better performance or make cool things, but actually also having someone that can work with it without being frustrated of you know them have to work in the newest the newest framework even though it's not documented or supported or there's no training whatever that is. So it's sort of a balance that is not always an advantage being on the front end of of, uh, of technology. I think it's a great point you make from an organisational perspective in terms of keeping up with new technologies. Mm -hmm. But I think speaking with developers on a regular basis as well, such yeah. a formidable part for them with new technology is that they want to be working with the latest, the latest mm -hmm. things that have come out, as you say, new stack available, the latest things to be released. I think it's a massive part for developers to be upscaling themselves in such a competitive market. So yeah. what's your perspective on that? I think like, for instance, um, some of us which have a bit more time and don't have family, we can sometimes go home and try a new technology or whatever, right? But I do agree that any engineer is curious about the new thing there and they would like to try it. So as a company, we should you should make sure that there is a space for experimenting with new things. For instance, on my previous employer, we had a, a concept of 20% time. 
from Google. So basically on Friday, you could experiment with whatever you wanted. And that actually allowed you to have this, um, you know, to still be motivated, to still go and try new tools to see like sometimes you can go the rabbit hole and just go from the next framework to the next framework. But that exploration can bring you, you know, some ideas to even implement in your old, old framework without switching, you know. So um, it's also a perspective from the company to offer that kind of deep dive because otherwise you'll just peel off all the sprints with all the things you need to do. And there's a business reason behind all of it. But if you don't invest in taking the time out to actually make, uh, acquire your skill set, try on new things, you're sort of never going to you know, um, have that hockey stick foot forward developers in terms of uh, skill set and, and, and delivery. So quite like it. From the business side, it's also a bit frustrating because. I mean, there's always a deadline of things you want to do. There's rarely a peak or a certain time where you can just say, I'm just, sorry, it's fine, just go spend half the sprint, do whatever you like, and come out stronger. There's always things you need to prioritize. So it's a sort of a balance, but if the company has an offset, set that time aside, then sort of you're not going to be able to interfere with that. So that's it. Like it. Yeah, actually, we got this 20% as well. Um, I didn't know that it comes from, uh, from Google, but uh, actually, it works. Works very very nicely, and you say sometimes we have to prioritize, and we 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 put that buffer used for projects. But uh, when they have time, it is really interesting to to follow. Problem is that if you don't consistently take that time out, yes. the buffer always just disappears. Yeah. Right? There's always yeah. something more important to do. Yeah. It is investment that goes into longer, yeah, it's a long long term investment. Yeah, we had this exact issue with the 20% time because we made it that you take it whenever you want, but like usually on a Friday, but you don't feel like 20, 20, taking 20% time when you have five bucks spending. So at some point, us as managers, we were like, okay, we really need to enforce it. Mm. As in like, we need to tell you, yeah, that's it. At least Friday afternoon, you're not allowed to work on the product. Mm. You know, yeah. so you need to force it because sometimes you're like, you're not going to take it because you feel that slacking out even though you're improving your skills and then you're still improving the product and the team right mm -hmm. but yeah sometimes you have to actually enforce it yeah i think um, yeah i think you all mentioned some, some really interesting things that you you mentioned learning um mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned curiosity right and i think that both of these characterize software developers and um and, and i think that one thing that demotivates engineers is when, when their work becomes very monotonous, uh, repetitive, and I think that's where new technology has a role to play in, in motivating them. I think that learning is, is, a, is a big deal um, for, for many engineers, yeah. uh, in, in part because of their curiosity and in part because of what you, Connor, was mentioning with regards to the competitive market and, and them kind of feeling left behind. Um, but I, and I think that's why um, many engineers really enjoy going to conferences or you know reading books and, and following courses and, and so on. But I think what can be really demotivating is to to do that and then come back to your work only to you know still the same to, to have to do the same thing. And, and once you once you get that realization that the problems that you're trying to solve can be solved more efficiently. Better with, with newer technology. For you as an engineer, that can become a bit frustrating. But I have to say, I also see uh, your point, Alexander, with regards to the balance, because there's also an argument to be made that um, switching to a new technology doesn't always add much value for the product. Right? It's, um, 
But I think that maybe maybe one way to, to deal with that is to sort of make sure that you know if 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 the product is not ready to to switch to new technology, then engineers at least get an opportunity to perhaps work on some POCs or you have maybe some internal tooling that can can use a little bit of refactoring or a rewrite or you know just just give people an opportunity to 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 solve some challenge to solve some challenges some problems using their newly acquired skills. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent that the POC are really good to to um, to show point. And you can make a business case on that afterwards, and then you start you know, building a case to actually start implementing this, this technology. Yeah. Either, whether that's going to be in the same platform or new platform, whatever, but it, it's very valuable. It, it also makes sense in terms of risk, right? That there's always risk associated with yeah. writing something in a new technology. So maybe you don't want to start with your core system, <laughs> but rather with, yeah. Sometimes the PCs are also good just to, well, prove a point. I, you want to see if you can actually do this with the framework or not. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you don't know when to react to get started. You find out your API is reacting a certain way that doesn't allow you to use whatever you, technology you thought you'd be using, but actually you can't find that information anywhere unless you actually start digging in and trying it out. So and that speaks to exploring. Keep exploring, digging out if, you, if it's going to have value yeah. or not. Absolutely. I think it was a very interesting point you raised there in terms of risk. And I think this 20% rule that you mentioned, Elvis, has become a recurring theme. I mean, the more people that I speak to and the more of these podcasts, the more people, similar challenge to what you're saying about new technologies. And one thing they'll do is give their engineers a little bit of time off to go and develop the skills outside. But one thing I'd like to pose to you, as I'm sure you have more experience than yourself, is does it ever pose a conflict of interest in regard to the main product that they're working to then go and spend 20% on something that is completely a new technology and maybe irrelevant? From a business perspective, which is the perspective I'm taking, then yes, that's it. That is a problem because if you want to try a new technology, you can plan out for that as part of the, you know, within the 20 and the 100% of what you do. And the 20%, as I see it, is more like an exploration, completely new thing. You know, let's see if that's going to fly or not. Whereas the PSC is more like you prove something, you can do something like something you learn outside, you want to see if you can apply it. And that's a baby, not exactly what this episode is about. That's more like it doesn't necessarily need to fit into any project or any product you do. Well, yeah. Um, in my previous employer, we actually implemented it that it had to translate back to the business. Okay. So that was the only, it was kind of a loose rule. But in the meantime, we didn't want you to go and start to write a game that had nothing to do with our thing. So it was still kind of exploratory towards. So we wanted to be a bit related. We're in streaming. so. Mm. You know, try to do something with streaming, try to look at some, for instance, try another um, I don't know, framework for doing front-end and things like that, right? But don't start to write a compiler, let's say. <laughs> it's, I see it from my side, I, or we see it as an investment. Like, uh, of course, we should afford to spend that 20%, but uh, it's an investment for future. We don't know what's happening in that exploring. Perhaps 80% of that is waste. Mm. But if twenty percent of that uh, just take off or fly, then I think that's a that's a good thing. Also, um, to the point that you had, like uh, how you make sure this is happening and people are following that, you always have a game plan for the year. You define some side uh, projects, so they know what 
actually we, we kind of guided that we wanted in this direction it's not like a whatever comes in in, in your head but uh, we, we it's almost following our mission but more than what they normally do every day so that gradually build up some some skills and uh, yeah sometimes some nice things happen out of that but but i see the point i think in in, in your business uh, things are perhaps happening faster so you uh, I, I don't have the right words uh, to say it now but uh, it's when i hear what you're saying is that you have to you see it as a market is pushing you towards that uh, experiencing mm. but for us it's like perhaps if we don't spend that 20 percent we still can survive and, and nothing will happen but it's more like a let's try it and find something new and perhaps that's a different of um that's the nature of uh, our business that, uh... I, I tend to agree with that uh, point um i i also see this this angle of, of investment mm. um because i think um you know there might not be any obvious immediate value in let's say upgrading your core system to a new technology or a new framework but i think that building that those skills and, and that culture of innovation in the team uh, is something that can really pay off because in one year from now you might have to do that you might have to bring new technology into your product and if, if you haven't invested in this you might not be in a good position to start doing that when the time is right slowly building up technology that over time right that's yeah that's it mm -hmm. if you don't keep it moving picking up new frameworks Lastly, just to add one more thing. Um, we work in one code base usually. Maybe you are having two repositories, whatever, right? But they are still kind of one code base. They are just segmented. And you kind of get bored over a while. Not necessarily bored, but it's, you're basically reading the same book again and again and again, and you're doing some transformation. And I think in this 20% time allows you to actually go and start reading someone else's code. And that, for instance, is a very important skill, especially as you go more senior, to be able to go and read other codes in other language, you know, and things like that. So I think this 20% exploration can also give you this reading skill of reading code, basically, and moving fast on a repository from scratch. So then if another team, or you move an engineer from one team to another, they will have the onboarding in the new project much faster because they are used to get themselves onboarded into project and see how it runs. They're not gonna disturb your team members to, to how to run the pipeline, whatever, they already had those skills from exploring, right? So this is another, I think, thing that some people, they think that it needs to be a um, something out of the 20% time, like a deliverable, but it doesn't have to be a deliverable. It could be just that you learned how to be more malleable or like more multifunctional or like all these kind of things. Is that, um, that skill that you learn will help you on that 80% left, sometimes mm -hmm. makes you more faster on, on doing things and then it's really hard to measure it but uh, and I understand that from business point of view and that's always uh, when management comes say put some figures here what this helps and that's really hard to, to do but it's happening everyone knows it's happening but it <laughs> to, to capture it as a, a figure is really hard I don't I don't think necessarily you don't have to prove that it, mm. it gives you some value it's more like if that helps you making better estimations mm. and being able to better say this is what we can do in the time about mm. then we can set the expectation to the rest of the business like this is happening at this time instead of always like over promising and then not doing it because of you know, how it also is mm. 
So sometimes that can reassure you that the team can work towards whatever you, you agree on because we've got the skill set from investigating. Some great perspectives there in terms of looking further forward. I mean, the, the engineer may not be demotivated at this point, they've not reached burnout, they're not overmotivated. But I think it brings us nicely in terms of looking further down the line at ways in which we can help motivate engineers. Mm. Whereas I think, Essan, you've raised a good question that you'd like to pose to the group, which is probably much more proactive in the moment. So if you'd like to pose that question. Yeah, I mean, uh, perhaps it sounds a little awkward for the, for the topic of this, but it's more like a, what happened, what tools do you have if, if your team is already quite motivated and, and to make sure that it's self-governed, not really overdo it and burn out because not everyone wants to explore, wants to, to do their utmost. And kind of to, to put some context in it, my my uh, analogy on, on this is like a, a mechanical engineer and this uh, diesel engine governors, I don't know how much you know about it, but it's more like a faster drones, less fuel it gets. So it, it always keep it uh, the the system self-governed, and I'm just wondering if, what if you have that that issue. Not not necessarily should we call it issue, but if you have that, and if if so, what tools do you do you have to to uh, basically address this? I can go ahead. You have to. Well, no. One, we already discussed, you have 20% time, right? Mm -hmm. If you tell the person stop exploring like crazy during the 80% time, you have 20% time for that. That could already, let's say, do some things. And then I think the other tool is one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. So just talk with the engineer on a one-on-one, -on -one, be like, okay, look, we really encourage innovation or whatever, but you've been mentioning this framework a million times now, and we mm -hmm. don't, we're not at the time to do it. You know, basically at some point it's a, like you kind of brought it, it's, it's a negotiation, exactly like how you, you negotiate with the PM, when do we release something, it's kind of a negotiation that you need to have with the engineer as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, that's, but yeah, you need to first build a good relation or like an honest enough relationship for the one-on-ones, because it can be very demotivating if you tell somebody don't explore, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to be, have that very strong relationship before you, I would not advise you to say that before you have a good relationship with, mm -hmm. the, with the engineers. With, with, with you know the time that you spent, that's the best thing you can do, right? Keep talking, keep talking, mm. keep talking to everyone just to explain, you know, the context and and and, and why we do that. So you mentioned also over motivating, which mm. is a bit of an interesting thing. You're, you're smiling that you might have some experience with it. The only thing I've really seen for, for being over motivated is like when we've set aside, you know, we, this is what we're going to do, and then. Some of the engineers might pick up other things that are not necessarily in the sprint or like I've done and this is related and I found it in the backlog should I do that as well mm. and you sort of time need to control that but I think that's the only thing I've really seen I mean having mm. engineers on fire is, is, a, is a good thing mm -hmm. they, 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 uh, they are much more easy to work with um, in terms of burnout that's a little bit of um, sometimes that could be hard to spot mm. I mean you almost always need to talk to someone else to spot it I get input in because you don't necessarily sit beside the developers necessarily, specifically if they are in different locations. But what I found find the best method for me being on the business side is trying to paint the big picture mm -hmm. all the time. We're doing this because this is the business plan for all the company. This part we involved with, but to do that part means do this bit and this bit, and it's 
build this up first. So trying to explain their part, how that fits into the, the, the bigger wheels of the company. That's what I find, because that's also related to the question I'm going to ask later as well. Picking out that balance in terms of how much you can talk about the business side. At some point, they're going to be, oh, I got it. <laughs> I got it. Can you please start, let me start working? So it, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. that balance is also important. Yeah, I think some, you, you, you all raised some really interesting points. Uh, yeah, and I, I also feel that communication and just talking plays a really, really important role. And I'm not really sure when, when I think of over-motivation, um, I think your interpretation of this was somebody who's um, extremely excited about something in specific, specific framework, maybe, in, in which way I would probably do something similar to what you were suggesting. Just just have that talk and see if, I mean, if that framework doesn't add any value at the moment, see if that motivation can be channeled in a slightly different direction that, that adds value or that adds more value. Um, I have to say that when, when I heard you um, ask this question initially, I thought more um, of an overachiever type of, of engineer. Um, that, that, that was at least my interpretation. Um, so, so somebody maybe not necessarily excited about one specific technology, but 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 just about achieving the you know goals in in, in general, maybe in, in a very kind of um, individualistic way. Um, mm. That's how I interpreted. I don't know if that's what what you had in mind. Not necessarily. I, um, basically, what I'm what I'm thinking and I have in mind is that uh, you know when you have things right, people giving their utmost to to the work that they are doing. So actually, challenge is not necessarily always motivating them to do their stuff. But sometimes they they do it overly, and it. Uh, and if you don't have a balancing team, some can really, I mean, in, in our case, I'm just example, making an example here, we're receiving queries and one can take all, saying, I will do it, I will do it, I will do it. And then the rest would not have chance or would, so not necessarily because of the, he's an individualist or he wants to, to say, show off that I, I'm, I'm the best, but it's more like a, I know how to deal that with that. Let me take it. And especially when, when we talk about uh, motivation, we have this autonomy in it that we, we give people like, a, you know how to deal with this. You are 10 people here, and this is the, the task, and you can split. And if you don't uh, have that uh, kind of controlling or, or any tool that to make sure this is uh, happening, then you, you, you can get some, some issues. And I, I agree, actually, communication, one-to-ones, uh, and uh, this whole feature, the making the, the helicopter view of what's happening. I, I think that's a... And, and I can see how, how the, this type of behavior can be very demotivating for the others in, in the team. Yeah, right? interesting. Uh, but, but I think it's also maybe part of the solution is, is just working with that person to make sure that part of their goals um, have to do with the growth of others in yeah. the team mm -hmm. and um, maybe something about mentoring or mm -hmm. you know um, rather than um, them only being assessed by their own sort of yeah, individual yeah, contribution yeah. or work um, 
maybe, maybe that's that's one too. But it's also a way to mitigate the risk that one knows everything and the other one doesn't really. So it's a good way of splitting out the knowledge. <laughs> Actually, the, the the interesting point is that those people are, are the most helpful, and they they are doing this mostly. The, the one that I know, I might be, is that the one that they are helping. So they it's not necessarily people that are not team workers. They are the one that think that uh, Alexander is, is busy. Let me take that and yeah. relieve some pressure. Yeah. But this is, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, <laughs> but actually interesting topic because I, I in that I, I never thought about this, uh, like uh, it can uh, demotivate people because they think it's, uh, it's uh, like a, or the, or the good task being snatched out of their hands, like, what's, yeah, what yeah. to do it? Because that, that, that's the nature of it. Some people are slower on deciding yeah. that they, and some are really like a, I, I see this very often, especially in code bases, that they have mm. like some old two old engineers, let's say, and the new ones join. The old ones are still trying to get everything mm. because they know the code. They're like, oh, yeah, you don't know that part of the code. I will take it. Mm. But that actually even prevents the onboarding or the learning yeah, of the yeah, others yeah, because yeah. you're like, oh, no, no, that's an easy one. I will take it. Yeah. Mm. You know, and then I think it's a matter of yeah, trying to rotate them and make sure that everybody has full ownership of the entire code base. You don't feel like you have, so you don't feel like you're like a second citizen kind of like, yeah, you just yeah. do this year of tasks. The, the interesting ones yeah. are for me. And the same because you guys brought POC, I think that's a very important point for the proof of concepts. Don't have only the most senior engineer do proof of concepts, try to rotate it because it gets very demotivating mm. for the other engineers because a POC is always something super nice and because mm. like and especially usually you kind of present it to somebody mm. and then you can kind of make the other ones to be very demotivated that they don't have that opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think um, for most people that um, have made the transition from being software engineer to some kind of tech lead or lead engineer in their team. Um, I'm, I'm willing to bet that most of them have had this challenge of um, this instinct to do everything themselves, right? Because it's faster. Because mm. It's easier that way, right? But, but, but I think and I think it can be a bit challenging in the beginning, but, but it's something you have to resist <laughs> and, and just focus on, on, on delegating and just recognizing that those tasks which you might be doing really, really fast, that might be a really great growth opportunity for somebody else in, in your team. And I've been there myself. It's very hard to let go. It's so hard to let go. <laughs> I think you've got a good point about having um, growth goals for the more experienced um, um, developers to let the other ones in on that growth journey as well. That's a good point. That can help. So in terms of adapting, as you say, coming from an engineering background or a software developer, how do you then go into the tech league role and start to delegate those responsibilities? So if another engineering leader was listening, what some methods you have to, or the tools that you have, in order to take that step back and almost delegate and allow that learning to take place. I think it is a lot about about being aware of, of these goals, having these goals set explicitly for for yourself, um, with, um, regarding the growth of, of others. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a lot about trust. I think that in in some cases, maybe the reason some people have a hard time letting go is is because. Maybe they don't trust, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but but you know subconsciously they, they might not trust the, the the others to do a good job with, with that. And, and I think that you you simply need to take a step back there and and you know 
hopefully you have that culture where it's safe to to try maybe to even fail mm -hmm. and you, you need to you need to trust them and you need to be able to or ready to step in in, in case uh, you know something goes wrong but but i think it is a lot about trust also always be a safety net right they can always reach out if they're stuck and that'll be something that we do is bad programming for some of the more difficult tasks so having like a one of the less experienced guys working on something but pair programming one of the more experienced guys so they it doesn't necessarily speed things up but it gives it spreads out the knowledge a lot and also help by you know getting tricks and mm -hmm. share tricks the developers is that something you use as well yeah and it's an amazing tool to onboard people like it's the best onboarding tool yeah. program yeah get a new engineer you just needs to work on something for me like I, I was mind blown many times that we would just do a session of pair programming for a few hours and then the engineer is going and does another feature in the same system because they already learned that one only by two hours of their programming and you're like wow that's very powerful yeah but I for because you brought both mentorship and the tech lead. For me, it's exactly, I know that usually we have mentors, everybody can be a mentor. But for me, it's, that's exactly the transition. When you become a tech lead, you need to understand that you just became the mentor of the team. And if you switch that mindset, I'm no longer an engineer, I'm the mentor of the team, then you you can let go easier. And But it, you literally need to do that shift. From now on, I'm no longer uh, just an individual contributor, I'm the mentor of the team. And it's my responsibility to make the best team out of them, right? That's how I say it usually. In our end, uh, we have like uh, meetings three times per, per week. We sit together for one one hour at least. And then actually it was interesting to hear. We share what we are doing. Everyone, senior, junior, can, uh, can discuss openly and challenge. Actually, junior can challenge the senior and trust is there so they don't get offended that uh, why you are questioning me. So. I think this, these are uh, really important. And then, as you say, as as me being a manager of team, then I have to, if I see something is going in that direction of I will take it, then I kind of doing this, uh, um, yeah, basically spreading things. But yeah, I'm interesting that uh, it's more or less you are doing, I would say completely different business, but uh, the way that we handle it is, Basically, common sense, everything. So, yeah. yeah, I think there were some great points there in terms of make, nurturing an environment where it's okay to make mistakes and still in that trust, as as I said. And Elvis as well, some great points about yeah, mentoring. I mean, it went around the group and everyone was in agreement. I mean, more directly in dealing with a demotivated engineer. I know this is something you've posted the group, Elvis. Yeah, my um, because we kind of are talking now about PM, how do you prevent it? But what if it happens? So my question to the panel would be like, how can you re-motivate an engineer that um, got demotivated? And if you guys can share your tools. This is a tricky one because you don't always see it, right? It's taking weeks and weeks and weeks and you don't actually see the output. It's probably the same, but you then get more and more bored. Um, so you need to pick up on the small signals to, to see that. And again, the, the most, I think the most powerful tool is talking to those guys, not only one-to-ones, but also other sessions. And um, you know, my development team is based uh, in Budapest, and 
once in a while I get a chance to go down there. And that, that helps quite a lot. Mm. You know, both sharing the vision and what to do, but also have a lot of session to explore things and make sure they get these these developers not being at their best to be included in all those sessions for sure. That that I think that can uh, that can make a make 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 a make a difference. And also they're kind of forced to be there because you're there. That helps also for them to you know actually start talking and seeing each other, not necessarily work from home, which can be an issue as well. So bringing them in and 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 talking to them and make sure that they also see and uh, be with the other engineers. That's one of the things you can do. Yeah, I I fully agree that sometimes the greatest challenge is to is to notice that because. In, in, in my experience, at least, engineers tend to be rather conflict-averse. They, they will not just, you know, walk and tell you, look, I'm, I'm really deflated here. <laughs> Usually there will be other signs. Maybe you'll see there them being less engaged in, in, in calls or seem to have taken a step back. Or, um, and, and you're absolutely right. I think talking is, is extremely important, not least so that you can understand where this is coming from. because be so many different reasons why why somebody feels demotivated um, and I think that another really important aspect is to just be very honest in those talks and and try to understand and if valid acknowledge their frustrations or the source of their um, demotivation um, in again in my experience, um, in, in most cases, it is a valid reason why they would feel like that. Um, and, and then just being honest about it and, and trying not to dismiss those, but, but rather really uh, try to help them and, and find a solution. Yeah. It is difficult. You don't necessarily find one solution, right? You can spread out a few options that you can do and they can do. Maybe that's a PUC might be an option or find stuff that they mitigate with it it's, it's, and often not just one thing works it's a range of different initiatives that might help yeah. but but i think that being being open about it and then having the engineers see that you're ready to take some concrete steps to actually help them yeah. helps a lot yeah. I, back to trust yeah i think you had an amazing point there that you need to acknowledge i think the acknowledgement is one of the most important things here right if you kind of make the person feel bad that they are demotivated, you are putting wood on fire. So acknowledge that yeah, it's okay, it's okay to be demotivated from time to time. Let's just figure out what makes you demotivated, right? Yeah. And this to take it in a very positive way, not in a punishing way. It's very important. And you know, in my experience, it's not. It's almost like an onion. You need to take layer after layer. So I don't think you can solve it in one conversation. It's something that you need to go. But like the moment you see that, that's exactly when you need to start to have recurrent checks. Not maybe mechanically, like every week, but you should. Because if you do them mechanically, they're like, yeah, okay, he's applying management on me, right? Not human. So you need to be the human. And in order to be human, you should make sure, even though you have this weekly recurrent thing, you should also from time to time, like, hey, how is it going? And Things like that, you know, yeah. so you're not seeming mechanically resolving it, but I actually, you know, care the same as it. I've never seen any demotivated engineer become motivated again by having their lead tell them, look, you're getting worked up over nothing. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's so important that the 
you know, their manager or their lead really makes an effort to, to really understand and acknowledge. I think you, 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 you're pointing at empathy, basically. I think that's one of the things as a manager you should have with your team. And people are smart, they, they feel it, they understand it, that you are there just to, to fulfill your, because uh, your KPI says that you should not have any demotivated person, or is it, uh, or is it you are really there for, for him or for her? And that's, I think that's, yeah, that's a challenging part of our job. I, I believe that uh, this human part, as you said, um, and people sending signal, you said it's hard to, to find, but being actively in many meetings with them, very close, that's more challenging when it's remote. I have the same issue, but what I've experienced is that the people are sending signal and you have to capture, catch those at, at the moment that uh, this is not the same person that uh, I know. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, but uh, the tool, I would say, uh, and how we deal with that is uh, yeah, talking and showing that that we, we, we are here to solve it and we are on the same boat. If you are demotivated, I'm also in trouble. So, our business is in trouble. So, yeah, yeah everyone can get demotivated. Yeah, everyone gets demotivated. So, yeah. something that only happened to years. No. Yeah, but like for me, my, my point also about the onion is that I've had experiences when sometimes you're tending to solve the problem too quickly. So it's almost like you're patching it. And mm -hmm. I think the motivation is literally not one of those. It's the opposite. So don't try to get a quick win in motivating somebody because you might motivate them for that period exactly when that little project happened. And then it's almost like you had caffeine and then you had a downturn of it, right? So you need to be very careful not to motivate them a bit and then demotivate them even worse. So for me, that's why it's a long, the moment you see that somebody gets demotivated, that's why you need to understand, is it just because of this project is lacking or like, you know, behind or try to understand why. And then I think it's much bigger investment than just like, uh, yeah, you're going to do the next all hands presentation or things like that. Right? And one challenge is actually is it's not always easy to fix. Mm -hmm. So sometimes things are out of your hand. Um, so you are in that meeting and then you hear the, the reason for demotivation and I say, actually, I cannot do much about it. <laughs> so, and that's, that's actually, that's quite challenging. Sometimes it's organization uh, doing something that uh, the guy is not, doesn't like. And, uh, but you need to try. Yeah, you need to try to push the boundaries for what you can do as a manager because it's so expensive to hmm. get rid of someone. I yeah. do want to train that person, learn, learn the, the code, learn the ins and out. Yeah. It's it's a massive investment. Exactly. And, and on, 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 unless the developer work on very specific areas, it's almost like a year ramping up time mm. for them to be fully up to speed. So. And you had a very good point there. If you cannot fix something because of the organization structure or whatever, don't promise something that no, you cannot exactly. deliver. Because that's going to be even worse. Even worse yeah. So you need to be very careful. Like even for me, that's the I usually kind of I'm very positive, let's say, and I'm like, oh, we're gonna do this and this and this, and that's one of the moments when I need to be like, oh no, Elvis, <laughs> now shut up. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, you can keep the empathy with, with, with the guy, or if other other you, do, you disagree with that, I believe, if that's the case, then you say why you disagree, yeah. and and then perhaps that can. But if you agree, I've seen some people that they they still, for sake of their organization, they. They keep pushing, saying that uh, I agree with that, even though internal inside themselves so they are not. 
So as long as you are not yourself in that meeting, I think people will realize that uh, you are with me, but you are pretending that you are. <laughs> and, and I think that's where, you know, we're back to empathy and honesty. Mm. Mm. Um, Is it? Really, you know, showing honesty, acknowledging the other person's, mm. you know, reasons for being demotivated and so on mm. goes a long way. Um, and, and I think that in, in many cases, even when there's nothing you can do about it, there's still something you can do about it. You, you mm. can't fix the root problem, but maybe there's something else you can do yeah. to, to help them uh, get motivated again. Yeah. And define the structure that perhaps I cannot fix it all, but this part I can do. And I'll do my, my best in that part. Perhaps that little bit. Uh, but that's the reality. Some people uh, would be demotivated, would leave. But the most important is that we, we try <laughs> our best on that. Break the rules. There's some great points there in terms of the, the importance of retention, the cost of you know retraining people and honing on them skills that you've spent ages developing. So I think motivation is definitely a formidable part of you know engineering leadership. I think one thing that you put forward, Alexander, was very yeah. interesting. Yeah, so my question is more relates to when I come from the business side, I can write great project description and user story that explains why you want to do certain things and that motivates some developers. Other developers are more keen on say having a project that's really typical in, in description like this is exactly what I need to do, these are the frameworks I need to use and this is how they apply so obviously I'm not able to provide that kind of details but where do you think the balance is between those two outliers? What, what, what do you think motivates developers most and is is that depending on the developers, or where do you think that comes from? I think it does probably to some extent depend on developers, but but I think it's safe to say that, that most engineers are problem solvers. Um, my intuition would be that most of them do like to understand the problem and to at least be, be part of developing the solution themselves rather than be presented with, with all the details and the framework within which they need to solve mm. a given problem. I think whether a user story is, is technical or not, I think what, what seems to motivate engineers is being part of defining that, that user story. And, and I think it goes back to having that sense of purpose and of solving an actual problem for an actual person. Mm. Um, but I think that, um, you know, besides that, I, I, I do think that, that generally developers like a certain degree of freedom in, in deciding how they want to solve that, that problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think the, I don't have any developer with me, but this, I think I can translate that to, to any engineer and I agree with you. I think it's, uh, for me, I think it's most important thing is that you, you give the why part of it, why it's important, and why they have to do it. And then perhaps if you overdo it, like sometimes we receive uh, presentations uh, that why we do this, and then it's like uh, 20 slides, and perhaps you can distill that to, perhaps two slides, you don't need uh, all those, uh, because 
Because I think there are the issues that when we make these stories, we make for from top management all the way to engineers. And using the same story is not necessarily always the, the right approach. We should be more customizing it for this part is more interesting. And I'll, in my case, I would focus on the why part of it. As you said, people would like to know why I'm doing this. And of course, I want to solve the problem. And that part is, is fixed. But when it goes to top management, you have to be more specific with, uh, because they don't necessarily want to solve the problem. They want to have a business. So it becomes more than why necessary, uh, what and whatever. So yeah, I think that the balance would be on the why part uh, for engineers. Yeah, I think there's different kind of engineers, like especially in the front-end world, because you can have engineers that are much more visual, so they will work very nice with design, and then they will actually have feedback all constantly. Then you'll have some that are more like, okay, I want to write a pure business logic and the services and make it scale and all this kind of stuff, right? So I think you need to look at your team and understand what kind of a skills they have and how to use those skills. So you, if somebody's visual, you can let them maybe work closer with the product owner and then draft some of these things. But I think the most important thing is like ownership and don't allow them to get disconnected from the uh, act. That, this thing that you said that you need to have the helicopter view. I think some of us at some point get, even in the, we don't even realize, but we get disconnected from the product and that we basically don't see the output clearly of our work, right? And then for instance, at Court, it was very, very interesting that we made our backend engineers go and go and visit DSS, like the ambulance system. And it's not like they were actually, is the PM or the customer success that were actually having business there. But I just went for one day to sit in a call center to see how their backend software is being used. Mm -hmm. So they did not, you know, go there to fix a bug. They just go there to spend time to see like, how their software is used in real life. And that was so motivating, at least for the engineers that I talked with. So that's good too. In my experience, it's it's, it's often that not everybody on the same team on this team have the same skill set. So there's all almost always needs a certain translation, to, you know, typical description on what you want to do. Um, so the high level and the why is always important, but some developers might not need that technical description, others really need it. To start on it, and that can be demotivating not to have it. So you, know, you get all this freedom, but actually, I don't know where to, I should look at the code. I'm, it's been here for a few months or whatever. So I think it all depends on who should pick it up, and then you lose consistency if you don't write user stories in the same way. So that's it, can also be a bit tricky, I think. I think it's a great point you raised as well in terms of your developers being based in Budapest. I imagine this element of motivation. Is very applicable to the role that you hold. Yeah, because we have lots of meetings, obviously, but I'm always trying to like see this friend, this friend goal, this is a quarterly goal, let's go through all of that uh, so everyone knows what to do. But but it's also can be disconnect between not necessarily the product, but you know the why and why we're doing these things um, and the way that they, they uh, should work with it. So yeah, I I, I find that a, a tough balance to strike. Because I need somebody to help me translate, you know, the whys into a certain description that's sometimes needed. How does your user stories look like? Are they are they having all this kind of technical descriptions or are they more on a, on a higher level? Um, 
usually they, they do have a technical description. They, 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 they don't have a very strict technical description, as in there's still problem solving left yeah. um, for the engineers to do, but, but the engineers are part of refining those user mm-hmm. stories. Um, and, and so they are, they are part of defining that, that description. Mm. Um, I think it's an excellent point, um, Elvis, that you raised there. We, we also have these activities where backend engineers go and meet the end users um, of, of the applications that we develop, because I think it's important not to lose sight of the fact that ultimately it's not the product owner or a manager that you develop those for, <laughs> but there's actually users, right? That, um, where, where those products have an impact. Um, and, and I'm thinking maybe even the, the, the way you write user stories can also um, be influenced by, by how connected the, the team is to the product. Sure. You've had some surveys from customers visiting the website. That would be good for me to share some of these things so they can see how um, our users are experiencing the website. That's really fun to do. We don't have like an ambulance or some ships we can go to, but we have other other missions. <coughs> but you need to be careful with the service though. We, in my previous product, it was a desktop application and we made this, to have a streaming session and at the end you could put a smiley face, a straight face or a sad face. And then for the lower two, you could leave a comment. Reading the comments, it's very demotivating because some of the comments are from angry users and yeah. you, you know, as a PM, you should make sure that you filter some of those out and present it to the team. Don't give access to the team directly to such yeah. a result because I was the lead, I had access, but it was, it, and I was lucky that the people around me noticed that like my mood changed and everything and asked me, what did you do? And I, I was reading that and like, no, 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 don't take that. That's not a reflection of your product, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, it's very, very important to, for instance, for me, analytics, presenting analytics to engineers, it's also a thing that really, really demotivates motivates them. Mm. Sorry. As in like, for instance, growth, oh yeah, how we just increased by this amount of active users or things like that, especially when there's an increase because of a feature that they brought in, that can be a huge driver of motivation. Like, hey, by the way, we released this and then we received, I don't know how many praises on it or things like that. Yeah. They're so addictive, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, looking at all those dashboards. Uh, I remember in one of the startups where I used to work, uh, I brought in, it was initially a pretty small and rather simple dashboard. And uh, within not too long, we had three screens. With a lot more dashboards and a lot more complex because it, it's simply so addictive. Yeah. Precisely because it's so motivating, right? To, to, to get that immediate feedback um, from the usage of of the application. What we do a lot is also, before we develop something, we set the goals for it, right? How should this affect the KPIs? And then once it's live, you can actually see if that's up to up to game or whether you actually need to improve it. That's also something that, uh, you know, now that with A-B testing, you sort of got a whole engine going on there and things you can do and, uh, and share those as well. I mean, at this stage of the podcast, what we like to do is ask if there's any fur- anything further that anybody would like to add or perhaps any final questions you'd like to post to the group. Well, in that case, I'd like to thank you all for some amazing contributions. If you'd like to join us on a future podcast, please approach me on LinkedIn or email me on connor.leyland at evolution-nordics.com and I'll see you all soon.